Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. A new study by researchers at Washington State University found that implicit bias training for police officers had a small but significant positive effect. The study recruited 50 officers in Sacramento who participated in video simulations of encounters with various community members. Researchers found that officers who completed the training had fewer complaints of discrimination by community members than officers without that training. Lois James is the lead author of the study. She's an assistant dean of research and an associate professor in the College of Nursing at Washington State University. She joins us now. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. What do you mean when you say implicit bias, specifically in the context of police officers? That's such a great question. And honestly, it's a concept that's often misunderstood or not really, um, you know, not really understood very well. And um, what what we mean when we say implicit bias is unconscious bias. So the biases that kind of lurk below the surface that we're not even necessarily aware that they're there. And, uh, and, and the reason that implicit bias can be so problematic is because of its subconscious nature, it can influence, influence us in ways that we um, you know that we don't intend or that we don't anticipate and uh, it can it can shape some of our decisions and unfortunately can lead to some discriminatory behavior. How much of what we talk about in terms of policing in the US is implicit bias as opposed to explicit bias? Yeah, another good question. So explicit bias, obviously, is, is that that we're aware of. Now, that can manifest itself as um, as, as bigotry, you know, as, as prejudice, you know, for example, racism, sexism, some kind of bias that a person would put their hand up and, and claim and say, yes, that's, that's who I am. That's what I think. And then you can also have... Um, covert explicit bias where somebody might be aware of it hmm. um but they you know either they're ashamed of it or they don't you know they certainly wouldn't put their hand up and say yes this is who I am right so um so really you know with with policing it's it's hard to say because if you can imagine you know you give somebody a questionnaire i mean unless they're really really um overtly, explicitly biased, in which case, hopefully they're not working for a department anymore. They're not going to they're not going to say, you know, I believe this group of people are worse because. Right. Um, So so really what we're kind of exploring is, yeah, what 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 are biases that are implicit and what are biases that are explicit, but but covert. Right. And uh, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to to shine a light on implicit bias for officers so they can actually bring them into conscious awareness so that they can recognize, okay, yeah, maybe I do think that. Maybe I do have this association. And if they're aware of it, at least they have a chance of controlling it. The implicit bias tests that, that I've done, and I have a feeling that many listeners at this point have done, often it's um, how quickly can you see, say, a... Uh, uh, a person who may be uh, uh, black or white and words that are negative or positive and and you do these in various iterations and it it's in fast enough you're supposed to do it fast enough to be able to to click on things and but and when you do that you find out that without without realizing it um, your your brain makes s- certain associations 
That's, I think, a common online version just for the general public. But what does the, the training that you've developed, what does that entail in its entirety? Yeah, so the, the the test you were talking about is the implicit association test out of Harvard. And it's it's it is it remains our our best measure of implicit bias. Um what we do with the training is is more behaviorally based, right? So with the training, we have officers go through these scenarios, these you know, very realistic scenarios that are just based around you know, fairly routine police community member interactions that that often have the potential to be volatile. So things like, you know, interacting with people in crisis, responding to domestic disturbances, doing welfare checks, investigations of suspicious persons or circumstances, things like that. And, um, and, and the officers, you know, they respond in this simulated setting. They respond to the scenario and then we have the ability to kind of drive the scenario or dictate what the person on screen does or says based on how the officer is behaving. So, for example, if an officer approaches somebody in a scenario, introduces themselves by name, explains why they're there, offers some kind of concern or, or empathy, you know, offers any kind of help to the person, any kind of resources, tries their best to de-escalate if it does go volatile. If an officer does all of those things, we have the ability then to kind of end the scenario in a very positive manner. However, if that same officer were to, let's say, you know, kind of immediately put their hand put their hand on their on their holster, um, kind of, you know, not be personal, per, personable at all with the person, not introduce themselves, not kind of explain why they're there, just kind of rapid fire questions. Um, and, and behave in a way that we're we're really trying to you know move away from the kind of the the, the really authoritative, um, not humanistic side of communication. Right? If they do that, then we have the ability to send the scenario in a much more volatile, negative way. So by going through these scenarios, officers start to you know a practice the skills that we that we want them to practice, and b start to uncover in themselves, okay, do I respond differently based on the type of person that I'm interacting with? And what we're really trying to do with the training is we're trying to to generate that self-awareness, as I said, shining a light on implicit bias and making an officer aware of what their mental filter looks like, you know, that they that they see the world through. And uh, and that's where the kind of the true learning occurs not just in the responses to the scenarios, but in all of the great conversation afterwards, both with their peers who are who are observing and then with the facilitators and the trainers as well. You've said that you've seen small but significant decreases in disparities in terms of how officers treated different types of people. What do you see as the most important results from this study? I think I do think that that reduction and disparity piece is really important. You know, it was it was encouraging and it was um, it was it was great to find that that officers in the intervention group had generally better performance scores after the training. And what I mean by that is regardless of who they were interacting with, they tended to. Um, you know, they tended to display more of the indicators of kind of really good policing based in procedural justice, based in de-escalation, based in all of the great things that we want our officers to be doing as they protect, protect and serve community members. 
But the thing that was that was really encouraging is we kind of looked at all of our baseline data because we looked at it at, at a year, essentially. I mean, not not every single video, of course, but a, 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 a random selection of body camera footage videos from the year before the training intervention to really see, OK, well, what do the disparities in this city with this department look like? And the biggest one by far was how officers interacted um, when they were um, when they were interacting with community members suffering homelessness versus when they were interacting with community members who, who were not suffering homelessness. That right? disparity, for that example, was that was higher disparity. than the disparity between, uh, say, black residents and white residents. Correct. Yes. Yes. So the, the 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 homelessness piece was the biggest disparity that we saw. And that's homelessness kind of controlling for the race of the person or the gender of the person or the size of the person. Um, you know, so so there, there were there were lots of different, as, as you can imagine, you've got body camera footage. There are a lot of variables that you can control for because you're seeing this person. Now, a small caveat there that is important is that oftentimes, of course, we did have to make judgments. So it's like, a, you know, appears to be suffering homelessness, appears to be black, appears to be white, appears to be male or female. Right. You know, I mean, oftentimes these are um you know, assumptions that we're making, but we did a, a great deal of training with our research assistants um, and, uh, you know, to, to really make sure that they were as well-trained as possible as they coded this footage. And I imagine we're also just talking about assumptions anyway on the part of officers. Um, so, I mean, there there might be some convergence there, hopefully. Uh, my understanding yeah. is that it's not uncommon these days for police departments around the country to do some kind of implicit bias training. But a press release about your study said this is the first known research to provide evidence that this kind of training can actually produce positive effects. If that's yes. the case, why has this training become so common? Well, I should say I, ours is the first to produce positive behavioral effects. So, so in the past, studies have certainly looked at, you know, does an officer's knowledge around bias increase or improve? And do they do their attitudes or their kind of intent to... Um, you know, intend to put into play the lessons that they learn during training. Does that improve? But this is the first study to kind of look at, okay, well, what does what does officer behavior look like before the intervention? And now what does it look like after the intervention? I mean, yeah, but that's that seems like the most important thing from the public's perspective is what are officers yes. actually doing as opposed to what do they intend to do? What have they learned from a book? That's so, it. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, that's what the public cares about. And also, honestly, that's what departments care about, too, because training is intended to produce behavior change. Hmm. So how do you explain that? I mean, why is it that these have become so common if, if yours is the first study to show positive behavioral changes? I think part of the answer to that is that it's often um, it's often mandated. You know, if, if a department is going through any kind of consent decree or collaborative reform, um, then then typically some kind of anti-bias training is going to be um, is going to be front and center, especially if that's one of the reasons that they're being kind of audited or observed closely anyway. Um, and then I think a, another reason is is departments sometimes can be very proactive. You know, they can they can have you know communication with their um, with their community leaders, for example, that can recommend it. So I, I think that oftentimes departments, you know, they, they think that it's a good idea, right? We just haven't to this point had any really solid evidence that 
it, it could be a positive thing, right? right? And that's the that's the concern that some people have had with implicit bias training is, okay, well, is it is there any potential that it could be producing negative effects or damaging effects, hmm. which you know, thankfully was, was not observed in, in our study. But, you know, regardless, I do think that additional research needs to occur because this was a fairly small study, you know, and and it's one it's one police department. Whether that's generalizable to all police departments is just something that we don't know. I should also mention that this particular training tool um, that you studied is one that that you helped develop. Um, if it's seen as effective, it could lead to more business for you. M- more police departments could buy it. How did you deal with that potential conflict of interest? Yeah, so we dealt with it in a number of ways. So this this study was actually funded by the National Institute of Justice, which is a Department of Justice um, research branch. And, um, you know, of course, because there was that potential conflict of interest, we had to put several steps in place. And the big one that we put in place was that we, um, as as our research, research assistants were coding data, they were completely blinded to the group uh, that they were that they were coding. So in other words, when they were reviewing a a um, body camera footage video, they did not know whether that officer was trained or not. Right. So there was no potential for even any kind of subconscious. Okay, well, I think that this officer might have been in the train, you know, the the intervention group. So I'm going to lean towards scoring them more favorably. Right. That just was completely removed from the equation. And that's the big one. And and that's that's honestly, that's very typical with randomized control trials, with experimental designs, is that that notion of blinding. Um, because you you just don't, you just, you, you know, it's it's possible that even subconsciously, if people knew that they could um that they could score things slightly differently. Hmm. So that was the big one. And then the other big one, of course, is that we were not um actually doing the coding ourselves. Lois James, thanks very much for joining us. I appreciate um, having you on. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the chance to talk about this. Lois James is an assistant dean of research and an associate professor in the College of Nursing at Washington State University, the lead author of a recent study that found positive behavioral benefits uh, after Sacramento police officers took part in training to counter implicit bias. Well, today obviously is Halloween. We asked for your stories about your favorite costumes or costume flops, and boy, did you deliver. I have always made my son's Halloween costumes for him. One year, he wanted to be Daredevil, and I made him a great costume, had the muscle sewn in and everything, and his buddy was coming over to get him, and all I had left to do was to put the hood on But my son wanted to get the costume on, so he put on the costume, and I was standing there sewing the hood on by hand when his friend said, oh, I'm afraid I'd get poked with the needle. And instantly, my son passed out. He peed in his costume, so he couldn't wear it. At the last minute, he went as a ninja warrior. My name is Ellen Morris, and he probably won't appreciate if you play this, but I will. It's Jeff Cook in Portland. I really tried to create a costume for Halloween several years ago that involved the darkening of the eyes and the whitening of the rest of the face to look like some kind of skull. And, uh, oh, the disappointment when what resulted looked for all the world like 
I was running around as a panda bear. Hi, this is Diana Brumbaugh. I live in Camas. When my brother and I were seven and nine, our mother dressed us as little old ladies for Halloween. Our neighbors were elderly sisters, and when they answered the door, before we could even say trick or treat, one said, Oh, look, two old ladies have come to visit. Please come in. We did, and were served cookies and milk in teacups. We did our best to talk about subjects we thought old ladies would discuss. They offered us candy to put in our purses, and we left there thoroughly convinced we had fooled them. I, David from Silverton, regarding a Halloween costume, when someone inquires what my costume is, I raise a handheld mirror so that they might see themselves. And then they say, huh? And I say, yeah, I'm an existential experience. And I get a lot of strange responses. My name is Carl. I live in Portland. My favorite costume that I've ever worn is a latex mask of my own face. It's really fun because you have to go and try to act like yourself. You have to kind of try to figure out what would Carl do in this circumstance. Hi, this is Heather calling from Portland. When I was a kid, I remember if you wanted to look like a celebrity or a character from a show, um, you could only buy these plastic masks that had uh, elastic to hold them on and maybe a piece of clothing, like a cheap polyester um, piece of clothing to go with it. And I really, my brother and I had just seen Clash of the Titans, and I really wanted to be Medusa. And... My mother spent about a week uh, with a balloon and newspaper and a flower paste, and she paper macheed this elaborate Medusa costume for me with twisted up newspaper for the snakes. I can still remember what it smelled like inside with like glue and rubber and newspaper. And when I wore that out, thinking back, it was kind of like being Medusa because people just stopped and froze and were in awe of this elaborate mask that I was wearing. And I think it really set me up for a lifetime of loving costumes and Halloween and dressing up. That's my story. This is Richard Walden from Portland, Oregon. I'll be doing Halloween as drag Barbie, bearded and all, in the same peppermint mini dress that I got for the movie premiere. And I've got to say, for an old man, my button legs still look pretty good in the mini. So have a great holiday. Hello, my name is Shereen from Portland. And my favorite, or I guess my most celebrated costume was an accident. I planned on being Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and it was COVID year 2020. She had just died the month before. And I had a lot of anxiety that day. And so when I get anxiety, I go skateboarding. So I grabbed my board and I went outside. And when I jumped on my board, I realized, oh, my gosh, I'm actually Ruth Skater Ginsburg. (laughs) So that is definitely the best costume I've ever had. Hi, it's Renee Button in Hillsboro, Oregon. And one year I worked for a large hotel chain and I decided to go as a bunch of grapes to our Halloween party. And I had everybody in the department meet me in the office beforehand and blow up purple balloons and staple them to the bodysuit I was wearing. I had already made a construction paper hat, which looked like a sim. 
I thought I looked so cute, and I went down by the pool where the party was, and everybody was smoking in those days, and they all decided to attack me with their cigarettes and pop my balloons, which freaked me out, and I ended up having to jump into the pool to save my ass. Anyway, oh, I hope I can say that on uh, public radio. <laughs> anyway, that's the worst thing that ever happened to me. Thanks to everybody who called in. It is always a pleasure to hear your stories. Coming up on the next Think Out Loud, unless there's a big change, the first ever strike in Oregon's largest school district will start tomorrow. If you're a parent or a student in Portland Public Schools, what are your plans? How will another school shutdown affect you? You can leave us a voicemail right now at 503-293-1983. That's 503-293-1983. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on NPR's app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. Have a great Halloween. Stay safe out there. Think Out Loud is supported by Steve and Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Ray and Marilyn Johnson, and the Susan Hammer Fund of the Oregon Community Foundation. information continues to come at us faster and faster. Sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.